For us, is this the earliest we've ever recorded? It feels I think like this it. is absolutely the earliest we've ever recorded. <laughs> For you, definitely, because it's way earlier your time. Yeah, it's it's currently eight thirteen a.m. For all of our lovely listeners out there, at least on the mountain time. MST. Though. Yeah, I'm like super exhausted, and it's like ten o'clock here. I have no excuse. <laughs> Last night I was like, oh, maybe I'll like wake up and like get a workout in before recording and like get showered and all that. No, I like just got about a half an hour ago. <laughs> I thought about doing the same. I was like, maybe I'll wake up at like seven, I'll work out and then no. <laughs> I can do it on the weekdays, but like I can't. I, I need my weekends off. It's been chaos. So yeah, you've been doing a lot of traveling. And I imagine oh, so you, much traveling, and also my like private practice is super picked up on the side, so my hey, days are just full. Look at you. Yes, no complaints about that, but I definitely have much less free time than I did before. Yeah, I mean, so I survived. Um, Fun. My first bout as a therapist. Do I foresee this for myself long term? Jury's still out, but you know, I read um, a book. It was like a Harvard psychiatrist talking about his journey and like doing therapy and all that. It was like his memoir, I guess. Um, well, and how do you he... say that word? <laughs> memoir. <laughs> <laughs> memoir. Boy, what am I saying it wrong? <laughs> oh God! Thank how you. do you say it? <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <coughs> You're killing me. Oh, man. Just memoir. Memoir. <laughs> memoir. Murmur. Okay, anyway. Sorry, what is memoir? Go ahead. A uh, book that he wrote about his life, autobiographical. Um, and he described, like, the first couple sessions or, like, I don't know, first, like, five years of therapy that you do is, like, um, when you're learning to ice skate for the first time and you like go out on the ice skating rink and you're just like falling and it's going terribly. And I'm like, you know what? That's exactly what it felt like when I first started and sometimes still today, but you know what? We persevere. So yeah, <laughs> that that's uh, my two cents on that. Well, fingers crossed um, that uh, I don't injure anyone out on the ice. Um, yeah, as myself. long as you don't like slice anybody's fingers off, you're yeah. golden. <laughs> no plans on doing that. Um, but yeah, my um, <clears throat> life has just been, uh, other than that, my life has been utterly chaotic. And I keep looking at my daily schedule and thinking, I did this to myself. I chose yeah. to go to grad school. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You did. Um, <laughs> you did do that. <laughs> but um, how's life been for you? Just traveling. I live at the airport. Now, I have one last trip. I'm going to Chicago this upcoming week, so for do like, that, and then I'm never going just for pleasure, not okay. weddings. Thank goodness. No more. If it weddings. was another wedding, I'd probably be like, I have COVID. I don't. I can't. <laughs>
Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. Welcome to Pink Collar, a true crime podcast focusing on crimes committed exclusively by women. Each week, we'll be bringing you a brand new case focusing on the psychology behind these crimes and advocating for early intervention. Please subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For every review, we will donate a dollar to the National Center for Victims of Crime. Anyway, on to this week's episode, Rachel. Yes! Okay, guys, it's gonna be a two-parter, so... Or maybe I should have not said that, and then waited, and then been like, it's gonna be It's gonna be a parter. There's gonna be at least one part to this. Yes, (laughs) because this guy, Christopher Gofford, wrote an amazing six-part LA Times article that has so much information and is so great that I'm like, I was typing up fully intending to do the full thing last night and I realized I was like four pages in and I was like, ooh, I'm not even like halfway through this thing. So I'll break it up into two pieces to give it its full, full glory. And also so it won't be like a two and a half hour long podcast. (laughs) Although I like two and a half hour long podcasts. I just don't have the ability to, I don't have that much time in my life to sit down and and record it. Maybe if I was like doing dishes at the same time. Um, that would not sound good. Anyway, anyway, so speaking of California, this place take this place takes case in California. This this place takes case. I the coffee has not like permeated my brain yet. <laughs> Can you tell? Uh, it's fine. I haven't even sipped mine. It's half on the floor. It's fine. This case takes place in good old California. That reminds me, I like rewatched Kimmy Schmidt uh, like a month ago. <laughs> and that Boobs in California song is still like the best song I've ever heard. I in was my life. just like last week or two weeks ago, I was about to, I like searched high and low for like a um, Titus gif and I was going to send it to you. Um, it was like in, we were having a conversation, but it took me way too long to find it that I was like, if I send this now, it'll be weird. But then I was also like, no, send she doesn't care about Kimmy, Kimmy Schmidt anymore. This of course, <laughs> I've never stopped. <laughs> Next no. time I get the urge, I'll just, I'll just press send. <laughs> no, I actually, I rewatched it and it was like a little crazy. I didn't realize like how dated some of the references are now. I'm like, this was, this isn't that I mean, old, even but they then, make a lot so many. I felt like was cringe, like. Well, they just, like, reference so many, like, current events that, like, by the time I, I was, like, I did not realize how much, like, current event stuff that they were, like, playing on in that. Um, no, great show. It, it, it holds up for the most part. Some of it, not so much. But you know what? Titus is all that matters out of that show. D- nothing else. Um, anyway, so, California, we're talking about a lady named Kelly Peters. She was a 49-year-old woman with short blonde hair. She worked as the volunteer director at the After Classroom Enrichment Program at the Plaza Vista in Irvine, California. She often showed up to campus in flip-flops and brightly colored sundresses adorned with a peace sign pendant around her neck. What's your opinion on flip-flops? I'm a Floridian, so... So you like them? Yeah. I mean, they're important for, I don't want you to wear flip, or I mean, I don't support 
the wearing of flip-flops if your feet are janky, but... Sure, I just don't like how they make my feet feel. Really? They give you, like, a, a wedgie in, like, your big toe and, like, second big toe. Yeah, you know? I think that's a you thing. I like slides. I'm a slides girl. All the way now. Converted. Anyway, she would wear flip-flops. I guess it's California. That's the vibe. Uh, Kelly stood at five feet tall, and it was usually only a matter of time before she was outgrown by most of her students. Fun fact, my little sister Beck is five feet tall. It's very small. She's a very tiny person. So, Kelly was well known to the students and parents. She would always sit and, like, wait behind with the students if their parents were running a little bit late and she was always kind enough to waive the dollar a minute late charges for parents who were you know not the most respectful of her time i was surprised that it's only a dollar a minute for lateness i would charge like 15 dollars a minute for for lateness um <laughs> but she was so kind she would just wave it off that was that was the kind of person she was um, she was working in the mortgage industry and her job, job was very high stress. Um, and when she had her daughter, Sydney, who was at this time 10 years old, she left the field to be a full-time mom. It was too stressful. She did not enjoy it. She just, she wanted to be a mom. So One would argue that you're a full-time mom whether you work in the house or not. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so even the craziest days volunteering at the school didn't hold a candle to the stress associated with her previous job. Um, so Kelly had originally, she was from California. She grew up at the foot of the San Gabriel Mountains. Um, when she was younger, she worked in the restaurant industry. Um, she worked at a pizza place and then a skate shop before flying to Hawaii on a whim and staying there for two years. Um, she continued working in the restaurant industry, something she would have in common with her future husband, Bill. He was a restaurateur slash blues musician, and they married when she was in her mid-30s. They decided they wanted to have a child, and they tried for years. Kelly said during this time, her personality changed. She became afraid of spontaneity and surprises. She just wanted to be safe. So she was drawn to Irvine, California, which was consistently ranked as America's safest city. The schools there had a nearly 100% college admission rate, and some would maybe make fun of it for being kind of like cookie cutter, like its own bubble sort of place, but that's what she was looking for. And so they moved. On February 16th, 2011, Kelly was covering for the karate teacher who was stuck in traffic. While leading the kids through their warm-up exercises, an administrator came by to let her know there was a cop at the front desk asking for her by name. Kelly's heart immediately dropped. Her husband was now working as a traveling wine, wine salesperson. Had he been in a car accident? Was there something wrong? Was he dead? The officer, Charles Shaver, assured her he was not there to talk about her husband. Officer Shaver was a former NCIS investigator with the Marines. He had worked as a sniper on the Irvine police SWAT team, but given the safeness of the town, never really needed to use those skills. Those days, he was mostly responding to like 
dog barking, or noisy neighbors, or car burglaries, and shoplifters. Uh, maybe a car accident here and there, but it, it really was pretty safe, so always, not too much. I always wonder what, like, SWAT officers do. Like, because, like, not every day is there, like, a SWAT-worthy thing. Sure. So, like, what do they do? I think they just do, like, regular police stuff. Interesting. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Acceptable. <laughs> do you want to hear a funny story about noisy neighbors see sometimes like people are being noisy but i'm like i don't want to call the police about this like it doesn't happen here the only thing lately is that we live right by bc and sometimes their marching band plays till like 10 p.m on weeknights and it's so loud and i'm like can i call the police on this <laughs> like, but um the other day Evan and I were just in our apartment, like chilling, like real, like not even doing anything. And our um, one of our building managers comes up and knocks on the door and was like, um, "The person that lives below you was complaining that you guys were like blasting rock music." And we were like, "What?" <laughs> and we were like, "We like weren't even like watching." I think Evan was watching like a baseball game on TV. Like he's like, "Yeah." Uh, I was like, "That doesn't sound like Evan and Rachel." And that. <laughs> I was just like, what on earth? <laughs> so it's probably someone outside or something. But anyway, so very like low key things this person is responding to. He was seven hours into his shift when there was a call made to the police about a dangerous driver in the school parking lot. Call went like this. Um, and this call was like accented, but I'm not going to. And I'll talk more about that later. I'm just going to read it straight because... I don't want to be offensive. Um, I was calling because uh, my daughter's a student at Plaza Vista Elementary School, and uh, I'm concerned one of the parent volunteers there may be under uh, under the influence or uh, using drugs. I was, I just had to go over to the school, and uh, I was, I saw a car driving very erratically. The caller reported seeing drugs in the car. And he knew the name of the driver, Kelly. How did the, he see drugs in the car if the car was driving? Good question. I don't know. Mm. Uh, so the guy knew that she drove a PT Cruiser, knew the license plate number, and the only for the groovy license plate frame that that she had, he was able to identify. Uh, Officer Shaver told her that the caller said she was driving erratically around 1.15 p.m. And Kelly said, no, this was impossible. She had parked and was inside the school at the time. She said she didn't have anything in her car. Um, so she was like, you're not gonna find anything. So yeah, search my car. That's totally fine. You should never do that. Even if This is true, <laughs> yes. And wouldn't you know it, right away, Officer Shaver found comically large bag of drugs sticking out of the pouch behind the driver's seat. They were not hidden at all. Just drugs. And Kelly was panicked. She had no idea where these drugs had come from. She begged him to, like, he had them sitting out on the the hood of his car, and she was like, please put that away. I'm worried my daughters (laughs) or, like, other students are gonna see. Um, So there's a picture of it in the article, and it's what I was, like, trying to find the right size. It was, like, a gallon Ziploc bag of pot. 
and like two smaller bags of white pills. Um, I've like never seen a bag that big in like any day to day life or like usually when people are arrested for marijuana, it's like not a literal gallon unless they're like a dealer. Um, it's it was funny. just like a very large bag. Um, like sometimes when I go places like downtown or whatever with a friend and they're driving, they'll like, and it's a hot day, you know, it gets hot as heck in um, Denver. Um, they'll like lower the window just like ever so slightly when they park. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember like trying that with Jarrell and he like flipped out on me and I'm like, what? Like what? He's like, somebody could walk past, decide to throw crack in here, we get pulled over. (laughs) You know, because people famously just want to get rid of their drugs into random people's cars. Well, he's like, you know, like, they could see a cop, like, they're walking past, like, they throw crack in here, like, we get pulled over, next thing you know, we're going to... And I'm like, facts, um, I'm putting my window up. I feel like someone would notice someone, like, trying to show, like, depending on how big the crack is in the window like if someone's like throwing crack and like they would see and be like oh what are you doing to that person's car (laughs) anyway um but like it it literally looked like a giant bag of salad to me like it it was just so big um and there was also as i was writing it i could not figure out the name they talked about it later in the article a pipe so i said there was also a little smoker thing (laughs) But it's a pipe. Like, one of the the little ones that's, like, I don't know. A pipe. Uh, Like, ovally shaped, like, tiny. I didn't know the name for it. But, yes, it's a pipe. Um, So, you know, Officer Shaver, it wasn't his first time around the block. It was not uncommon for people found with drugs to be like, those aren't mine. (laughs) You know, he had seen and heard it all before. Uh, the only explanation Kelly could come up with is, like, maybe the drugs had been planted in her car. Maybe. The neighborhood <laughs> was safe. Uh, she often left her car unlocked. So Officer Shaver did a sobriety test. He was, like, checking her pupils, taking her pulse. She touched her nose. She walked and turned, closed her eyes, tilted her head, counted silently to 30. No issues. So Kelly didn't appear to be impaired in, in any way. Eventually, her husband and daughter joined her, but she didn't even know what to say to them. Her shock was so genuine that Officer Shaver didn't arrest her. You know, white people stuff. Um, He wanted to get to the bottom of this, so he just kept asking her questions. He talked to the school administrators who said, yes, Kelly arrived to the school at 1240. It didn't make sense that someone would wait 35 minutes to, like, call in a specific driver, suspicious driver. And, like, when they were calling, they made it seem like this was happening live. Um, When he tried to call the number back, he realized it was a fake. Officer Shaver asked Kelly if he could then search her apartment. And Kelly was understandably nervous. If someone had planted drugs in her car, they could plant them in her home as well. So she was going back and forth, you know, should she let this happen? But she reluctantly agreed and the officers uh, followed her to her apartment that was about a block away. Kelly and her family had first come to Irvine about a decade ago and they were outbid in their attempts to buy a house. Uh, Money was tight for the family after Kelly had quit her job. She did run her small business, the only for the groovy, as previously mentioned, for her license plate, where she painted tie-dyed jeans. 
but that did not pay the bills. Um, in their complex, the neighbors changed frequently and would always point out this was only temporary. I guess, you know, like renting an apartment. You know, the poors in Irvine, California. I don't know how um, many people live. Permanent renters. They, they would call it for a lower class, but Kelly didn't care. I mean, can you imagine renting an apartment? I rent an apartment. Anyway. <laughs> um, so Officer Shaver and his co-workers searched the home. They were looking for drugs and drug paraphernalia, but they were also looking for the distinct baggies that said easy this is spelled E-Z-Y in all caps, but I imagine it's pronounced easy dose pill pouches. So they didn't turn up anything linking Kelly to the drugs found in her car. I think typically if someone was carrying around that much drugs that there would be some evidence in their home. But um, another thing that the officers found to be weird was that the drugs had been left halfway out of the seat pouch. Um, usually people were better at hiding their drugs. They would have them stowed away in the glove box or under the car seat. And it was also unusual that the pipe was found inside the bag of weed. Usually people don't do that. They just keep it stored somewhere else. Kelly was sitting there paralyzed while they were searching her house. She was convinced that they were going to arrest her and she was going to have to spend the night in jail but officer shaver told her they were not going to take her in she wasn't totally off the hook but he was going to have the forensics team come and swab her and her daughter if they found dna evidence linking her to the drug she was going to be charged at the station the following morning officer shaver started to walk his team through this unusual story kelly peters was likely not a suburban mom with a pot and pill habit but kelly peters did however have an enemy so kent and jill easter had met at apollo alto law firm he went to stanford and ucla law school and she went to berkeley law and they now lived in a big house with a three-car garage Jill had quit her practice to be a full-time mom at their home in Irvine. She lived like, I think, a glamorous mom life where she was like having playdates at the pool and getting sushi with friends and going to the salon and getting Starbucks and taking yoga classes. Sound like fun. Um, Kent worked 60 hours a week as a partner at one of Orange County's biggest law firms. So one year earlier, the Easters unsuccessfully tried to get Kelly fired from her volunteer position at the school. It shook her up at the time, but she thought the experience was behind them. But now she thought they might have something to do with the drugs found in her car. So what happened that upset the Easters? Well, on February 17th, 2010, a tennis class had just ended at the Plaza Vista Elementary School. Kelly was working and rounded up the children and led them back to the school's building through the back door where they would meet their parents who were waiting out front. The Easter six-year-old son had fallen behind the rest of the group and was locked out of the school. 
he was found by the tennis instructor who brought him to the front desk. Jill was pissed and wanted to know who was responsible. Kelly immediately apologized. The boy had been slow to line up. He usually took his time, so this wasn't, you know, out of the ordinary. She didn't realize that he wasn't in the line with the rest of the kids when she brought them in. Kelly gave the boy a hug and apologized, and she thought that would be the end of it. But Jill was not okay. She questioned whether the tennis coach had touched her son. She thought it was so strange. I know, zero to a hundred. Whoa. (laughs) She thought it was so strange that this instructor brought him up to the front desk, you know, because famously the only thing that's stopping instructors from touching the children you know in their day-to-day is that there's another adult present which you know maybe it's the case sometimes but like i don't know kelly tried to reassure her a lot of the instructors would you know help out with bringing the kids up this didn't do anything to change jill's demeanor kelly finally decided to walk away when jill made a comment about how she didn't know how kelly could sleep at night with the way she treated people Uh, well if you're worried that your kid is being molested or assaulted in any way one interesting that the i like the person at the center of your um I don't know, scorn, your whatever, your vendetta is not the person you're accusing of touching the child. Um, but like, why? Yeah. Like, I, I just feel like, why are you bringing your kid? <laughs> I, why? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, Kelly was crying because she was like, what the actual heck is going on? But Jill just like stood there with a smug smile. Uh, So Jill called the school and claimed her son was crying hysterically. He had been locked out of the school for 19 whole minutes. She was furious about the comment that her son was slow. He was very intelligent, mature, and athletic, and he got good grades, and he won awards, and he was not mentally or physically slow. Uh, the director of the program conducted a report. She interviewed the tennis coach and the Easters, and it was concluded that the boy was outside for about five to eight minutes and that nothing bad had happened, which is like not great. You know, like having your son, six year old, be like wandering around outside without adult supervision for that amount of time is not a good thing. Yeah. Um, but you also like like choose where to send your kid like you you've sent him to a safe environment right right more or less like based on what you've described like this sounds like a place that's a safe environment and so it's like man yeah that sucked but my guess is like if her kid truly wasn't hysterics it had more to do with his mom flying (laughs) off the wall scaring him well according to everyone else who was there like the kid was not hysterically crying was not freaking out which you know would have been understandable if i was a six-year-old child who was left outside for like five to eight minutes i would probably be crying but like who hasn't you know accidentally wandered away from their mom 
in like a blockbuster. I guess that's a bad example. They don't really have those anymore. But that happened to me when I was that's a child. Like the, um, or like the, the grocery store, like your kid wanders off. Well, or you could like be the, like <laughs> the movie The Girl in the Milk Carton, where she like wandered away from her family for one second, got kidnapped, and did not realize that she was being raised by her kidnapper's grandparents until she was seventeen. Oh, Spoiler wow. alert. <laughs> well, that sounds tragic, but. Oh, um, fun fact. When my parents took us to a, a Cubs game when we were younger, um, they tell us this story all the time. So my dad was like taking us to the bathroom or something and Becca ran off in one direction and I ran off in the other. And my dad was like, uh, I guess I'll go after the younger one <laughs> and like figure it out later. <laughs> so my older sister was missing for temporarily, but you know what? She got like a free, they like gave the children who were lost like a free Cubs hat. Aww. So you know what? She had a great time, right. but like nice. it's, I don't think it's the most absurd thing in the world. It like a kid and like i don't know how many kids she was having to like care after and like they did end up changing their policy in result to this incident um so i think they had an appropriate response to this but like mistakes happen and on the grand scheme of things i also like feel like parents and maybe i'll feel differently when i am a parent um, but also just thinking about the way my parents were, where, like, everything was my fault. Like, so if I was locked outside, my parents would be like, why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. Um, but I do think, like, people who work with children and who work with, like, large groups of children don't get enough grace mm-hmm. in, like, this idea that they are, like, you know, these, like, superheroes who can, like, attend to, like, all of the different needs and reactions. Yeah, this is a volunteer and, position yeah, for like, her. Yeah, whereas, like look if you could watch your kid and work you would right but you can't you can't actually do that and now you're i don't know acknowledge the fact that like it's not an easy task to have you know 10 to 20 humans that are unpredictable and like (laughs) no one was acting maliciously i don't think you know it's not like they were by a pool and they left the kid locked in the pool room for like five to eight minutes you know like it just, it was a mistake. It was not a great situation. She apologized. Her son, you know, wasn't like hysterically crying or anything, um, which, you know, it might've been, uh, I traumatic is too strong of a word in this situation, but it might've been like an upsetting situation for the kid, but it seemed like he was fine. And also too, like him and Kelly had a good rapport, had a good like relationship. Um, but anyway, so the director who, they conducted a report and it just seemed like there was a misunderstanding. Jill thought Kelly was calling her son intellectually slow and Kelly just meant like, he was just like slow. He got distracted sometimes. Like he was like physically moving slow to line up. Not that there was, she was saying anything about his intellectual ability. Um, like I said, Kelly had a good relationship with the Easter son. She was encouraging of him. She complimented his drawings. She, she said she, he thought, blah, blah, blah. She said she thought he was amazing. He was quiet, prone to daydreaming, but an overall good kid. Um, some thought maybe Jill was like jealous of Kelly's bond with her son. Um, so maybe that was like kind of fueling the fire, but... 
Jill escalated it and called the school principal, Heather Phillips, a week after the incident. She was adamant that she did not want any other students to be hurt and was sure to mention that her and her husband were attorneys. Heather discovered Jill had been approaching parents on campus to rally against Kelly. The principal informed her that this could be considered harassment and violated the school's rule about civility. It was getting so bad that Kelly offered to leave her position voluntarily. She was like, this is just causing so much trouble. I feel terrible. I'll just go. But the principal said no. She had volunteered for the school for years, had no other complaints. There was no reason for her to leave over this. Jill called the police. They investigated but found that no crime had been committed. She demanded a restraining order, saying that Kelly was harassing her and stalking her and her son, and that Kelly had threatened to kill her. But the court didn't buy it and threw the, the motion out. Kelly then filed a civil suit, saying her son was the victim of false imprisonment and intentional infliction of emotional distress. I wonder what she thinks she's doing to her kid, <laughs> like, in this. <sighs> like, even if he's not privy to, like, the details of, like, you know, seeing, like, I just, I, I think kids are sponges and sure. you, you're high stress over a nonsensical like a problem you've created in your mind. <laughs> like, yes. Poor kid. And yeah. <sighs> well, she said her son suffered extreme and severe mental anguish. But the Easters would drop the suit. The school did refund the Easters on their after school program tuition, and they now required a headcount to be done of the students before releasing them from the program which I think is a fully appropriate response. I don't think they even really had to like reimburse them for the tuition. Maybe like for the day they could reimburse the tuition. Um, and I just think it's it's a good call that they were like, okay, we're gonna have a head count so that this doesn't happen again. Um, the school supported Kelly and in early 2011, she was elected president of the PTA. So back to this investigation. So maybe a weird coincidence, uh, the drug investigation, we'll say. It was maybe a weird coincidence that this happened almost a year to the day after the tennis incident. There was, you know, possibly another explanation that the cops were looking into. There was a 43-year-old dad who lived across the street from the school. He had a reputation for um, bizarre behavior. He was known to the police as they often received complaints about him entering campus without permission, ranting at the school's staff, heckling the crossing guard, and videotaping the crosswalk when children were walking to school. He had also shown up in a full Batman costume to pick up his son. Um, other parents were weirded out by him, but Kelly just felt kind of bad for him. It seems like he had some like untreated mental illness going on um but she had remembered how he wanted the job as the pt president and had asked to see a copy of the bylaws maybe he knew the drug possession would get her kicked out of the position so that was a possible motive um, this man is what the police referred to as a 51 49 and a half 
he didn't meet the requirements for an involuntary psychiatric hold, which is a 5150. They couldn't do much about his unusual behavior. It seemed more likely that this man was responsible for what was going on than like two lawyers. So they were starting to put their eggs in that basket. And yeah, I think that's kind of a tough situation. Obviously, in our world, we have 5150s where if someone is in immediate harm to themselves or others that um, they can get um, involuntarily put on an involuntary psychiatric hold and get treatment. But if someone is struggling or having, you know, these symptoms that are interfering with their life, but they're not in immediate danger, there's not much to do there. So just to say that I mean, it's a good thing that we don't just lock people up if they're having symptoms, but at the same time, it would be nice if there was more that we could do as a society to help meet people where they're at and to, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about this, but all to say that it just sounds like a not so good situation for everyone and I'm sure it makes parent made parents feel uncomfortable that he was like videotaping their children without their consent but it sounded like he had something going on um anyway so detective mark andriozzi was the lead detective on the case he didn't rule kelly out right away even though she seemed like an unlikely suspect her record was clean everyone at the school loved her um but hey you never know um, so Detective Andriozzi played the 911 call from February 16th. The caller said his name was VJ Shandashakar. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but also the person who made this up did not make up a real name, so there is no right way to pronounce it. Um, they said they had a daughter at the school, but there was no child with that last name that was attending the school at the time, which, you know, it's possible for a kid to have a different last name than their parent. But it was also pretty weird that the person started off the call with like a standard American English accent and then halfway through had like a half-hearted Indian accent, which is why earlier <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, the call was traced to a wall-mounted phone in the ground business floor at the Island Hotel. I looked it up and the hotel was shut down due to COVID. Um, it's going to be the Pendry Hotel now, so I think they're doing like a revamp. But it's like fancy California, super cool, upscale hotel. Anyway, um, you know, if you guys want to like start a Patreon for us and like send us on location so we can do like a thorough investigation um, do. <laughs> of this, you know, we we want to see the phone we that the call happened. Like, we can be... take pictures. We can you know give you the full California experience. Um, yeah. So like guys, if you want to make that happen, you know, <laughs> start a Patreon for us. But anyway, uh, well, the new hotel is going to open up in 2023 and, you know, they've probably gotten rid of the old phone. So we do our best to stay committed to the investigation. But um, so another detective, Matt McLaughlin. How do you pronounce that? McLaughlin? Laughlin? Laughlin? Uh That guy went to the hotel basement to review the surveillance footage. They had their eyes peeled looking for this PTA rival who was five foot eight Asian man in his early 40s, but they didn't come across him at all. 
However, there was a tall guy the detective didn't recognize who walked over to the business center moments before the call was made. They showed the footage to the school principal who recognized him right away. She said, it looks like Kent Easter. One of the lawyer people. And that is where I will leave off this week. Wow. Okay, true cliffhanger. I know, like, our crimes about women or crimes why can i talk words today our podcast is about women committing crimes so like oh who would have known that it wasn't the pta man and that it was maybe something to do with this other tangent i went off on for like <laughs> 10 minutes Ooh. who would have thunk yeah so i'll leave it there um what are your thoughts <laughs> i think what's the what's the the unhinged mom Jill. Jill. I think Jill. I. I mean, Jill. Jill is the <laughs> at the center of this. Um, Good, I, but maybe you know it's Kelly who has an elaborate plan to cover up her drug dealing, and is blaming it on this poor woman. I mean, that would. Actually she be also fun. kidnapped her child. That would actually be fun, and you know, I mean, a fun like twist not fun for the people involved um so if it is going that way i welcome it but right now jill girl wow (laughs) yeah i'm wondering if there's also some like untreated mental illness of like delusions or i mean could be like if we maybe we could pathologize but I also think that some people just behave badly. Yes. (laughs) Like issues, whether it's like an issue of just aggression or like this, like issue of like feeling like wronged and like not being able to like let go, which maybe doesn't rise to the rank of like a DSM disorder, but is very clearly impairing if you're willing to go to these lengths and like, like when you look at the facts of the situation like fine let's say it really was an awful situation for your kid is it i guess to me i'm kind of like is this one person like who needs to be responsible is this the person is that needs to pay like kelly or would i be focusing more on the school and making sure that they put policies in place to make sure that this stuff never happens again the school already did that And I'm like, well, if you're still really, really upset about it and feel like this is an unsafe environment for your kid because this woman is there, then why not move your kid? Put your Mm -hmm. kid elsewhere. Like, you're a lawyer. You can afford, likely, to put your kid in another, like, school or something like that. So it's just very much, like, an unhealthy, probably some, you know... There, there's just some very clear right the, they yeah. ha- it's one thing if you don't have access to other resources and not that you know anyone sh- deserves to have their children be in a space that is unsafe for them but yes it seems like this fell more towards the side of just like a, a disagreement or a misunderstanding and like mistakes happen you know like 
kids bite other kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, yeah. you know, kids, like, eat bugs off the sidewalk. Kids fall. Kids, like, all Yeah, this was, like, things. a volunteer position. I'm wondering how many kids this that she was responsible for looking after that like yeah it is tough for just one person so you know maybe they like start paying people and raise tuition for the after school program so that there can be you know like one parent for every three kids or like whatever else like yeah yes recognize too like the system Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and i mean it's just absurd just the fact that she is a lawyer like she clearly knows that there is no legal <laughs> no legal recourse no legal like you know no law has been broken like she has no i don't know it's I just also feel just like, like irresponsible i believe or i don't know if that's the right word i'm looking for but it reminds me of a case where there was like a judge who took his pants to a dry cleaning store and they like misplaced his pants and they were like our bad we'll replace the cost of your pants and then he like sued them for like years and made it into this huge crazy legal battle because they lost his pants and was like you have a sign on your wall saying that you know the customer's always right and you're saying like the, the whole thing like totally abusing his position of power and i think he ended up like losing his license and everybody was like what are you doing but like stuff happens like yeah it's not cool that they lost your pants but like s- people lose pants sometimes and like you don't have to sue them into oblivion agree and i like i think it all especially like when these things um I don't know when people like lose their jobs over like things that they do in their free time like this um i'm like i the thing that i don't know like the whole i don't know if you've been following like the whole like try guys thing um oh my god wait yeah. i have so I much never, to say about that talk off <laughs> yeah but like just thinking like people are like well why would you lose your job and i'm like the thing is that like it points to poor judgment and I think poor well, also judgment. in that case, it was a yeah. workplace yeah, relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I mean, like in general, like though, like in right. these things where it's like your behavior, like having somebody working there who can make sound, reasonable decisions, like is an important value for most well, that, workplaces. I feel and if like you are that actively would... doing things that show very poor, <laughs> asinine <laughs> judgment. Like, it makes sense that you should be punished. Like, Well, that would be like if I had my day job and I had my private practice on the side. And in my private practice, I was, like, shilling essential oils and telling people that it was going to cure their depression and anxiety. Yeah. And, like, if I didn't do it at all in my day job, it was only something I did, you know. But that, like, reflects... It's related to my position Mm -hmm. because I would be using my credentials as a therapist and like leveraging that position that position of in a sense kind of authority in a way or expertise um well wherever this ends up i hope that um if kelly is as culpable as i believe that she or sorry jill um is you know behaving the way that i believe that she's behaving i hope she at the very least loses her job (laughs) Mm. well she's not working currently but her husband is working well i hope he because he's or they're they're like, uh what is it like do they get license their their bar their position thing. yeah 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 that 
Yeah. yeah. Also, I would just like to say, in relation to the Try Guys thing, everyone else can sign off, but um, SNL just did a sketch last night about it, and I'm very upset. I am so disappointed in SNL. I think that they were... You should watch it. Or not. I don't know. I'm like, I don't want them to get, like... I'm just so mad about the whole Try Guys situation. Mm -hmm. Like, they, on SNL, they just, like, totally played it off. And they were like, wow, so everyone's losing their minds over this guy, like, kissing another girl. And I'm like, that's not it. That's not... <laughs> that's not just what I Okay, anyway. So I've, I've been very upset. That's, like, ruined my morning, to be quite honest. Let's talk more. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.